Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings, Earthlings, and those far and beyond, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all shapes, sorts, colors, and sizes. This is Josh Belcher, host of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. This is my week's birthday edition. I turned 38. I'm getting old. I'm feeling old. But uh, one of the greatest birthday celebrations I've had in a long time time let me tell you all about it first and foremost i've got two guests that mean so much to me as a musician someone that influenced me heavily the both of these gentlemen in my life and my career being a 90s kid um, i idolized the bands these guys were in Um, we've got jimmy chamberlain drummer extraordinaire of the smashing pumpkins and his side project we'll be discussing the jimmy chamberlain complex Um, he was nice enough to call me on my birthday wish me a happy birthday you don't get any cooler than that jimmy chamberlain wish me happy birthday Uh, and uh, not to mention robin wilson lead vocalist of the gin blossoms also on the birthday podcast wished me a happy celebratory day Uh, just you don't get no bigger than that having people that you grew up uh, enjoying and their music molded how you feel about music and what you thoroughly enjoy wishing you happy birthday and being kind enough to be on the uncharted podcast so thanks to those two guys it made it really all that more special and on top of that if that wasn't enough just those two interviews uh, my 20 year old daughter hannah and i took a road trip Uh, we went all the way to detroit michigan with stops in ohio Um, we went to we we stayed the night in fremont and went to uh, President Rutherford B. Hayes' home, very beautiful there in Fremont, and got to pay our respects. He was born four days and like 120 years before me, um, but he's buried there on the site. Uh, really remarkable learning about our nation's history. That was awesome. Uh, then we got up and went to Detroit, and we saw the Henry Ford Museum. And let me tell you, if you go to Michigan, Dearmont, Um, There are two things you're going to see that I wasn't aware of that blew my mind, and that was black squirrels uh, living here in Middle Tennessee. I've seen the brown ones and the red ones and the gray ones, never a black one. I was absolutely in awe. Like, I knew how, like, uh, Christopher Columbus felt when he, like, first discovered America or whatever, looking around at things he'd never seen before. That's how I felt. That was the first time I glazed upon a black squirrel and it blew my mind but the henry ford museum wow it's like uh, if you've ever been to the pt barnum and bailey circus before they closed it down where there's so many things going on at once your brain's just like click 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 click. what's going uh what's going on that is what the henry ford museum is like uh, uh they had a marvel exhibit with comic books and costumes from the movies and virtual experiences Uh, My daughter and I had an absolute blast. If that wasn't enough, they have a museum filled with automobiles and relics throughout history. Uh, They they had the chair Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in. And I'm going to just pinpoint this because you really need to go out there and check it out, uh, the Henry Ford Museum. But I'm going to talk about this before I quit yapping. They have the chair Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in, and you see it, and the blood stains on it, and it's just really eerie to know what an incredible man. Uh, my personal favorite president, um, and I really like learning about the presidents, but he lost his life fighting uh, for a very just cause, and you see his bloodshed on the chair. 
it's just a feeling I can't even describe, but it's in there along with a hundred thousand other things that you really need to see. Uh, quadruple thumbs up, 500 gold stars. Henry Ford Museum is the bomb there in Deermont. And then the icing on the cake, if you will, and I got a little emotional. Uh, my main reason for going to Motor City was to go to Hitsville, USA, the Motown Museum, and breathe that in. Now, let me tell you about that. Um, when I hit the steps of a place that meant so much to me throughout my life, uh, and enjoying the music of the Temptations, the Supremes, the Four Tops, Michael Jackson, the Jackson Five, Marvin Gaye, uh, Rare Earth, and that's just to name a few that's bouncing off the top of my head, all recorded in that magical little building there. Uh, it just, when you get into Studio A, you feel the energy is palpable. You feel something in the room. It's like almost, I don't know, you just have to experience it. Anyway, this big old boy teared up. I loved it very much, very much worth the trip. Thanks to my daughter Hannah for accompanying me. That was the biggest treat, spending some quality time with my precious daughter, who is a wonderful human being, despite having me as a dad. Uh, she's turned out great, and I couldn't be more proud that she is in connection with me. Uh, and with that being said, uh, thank you, the listeners, for taking the time. Uh, I've done this podcast. This is my second birthday edition, and I just I love it. It's so fun. It's so uh, freeing for me. It's therapeutic. It's what gives me something to look forward to and keep throughout my life. Um, people that are struggling, uh, find yourself a hobby, even if it's something little, something that you can look forward to day in and day out that's not a part of the regular uh, grind of the day. Something like, hey, you know, I can do something and like it. It might not be a podcast. It might be something, but do something that fills your heart uh, because we are not made to work in this life as much as we do. Uh, with that being said, thank you for everybody that gave me birthday wishes. It was spectacular. And we'll get on with the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast with two phenomenal interviews. Thank you so much. Away we go. First up on the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast, one of my favorite drummers of all time, Jimmy Chamberlain of the Jimmy Chamberlain Complex and the Smashing Pumpkins. We talk about all that and more next. Enjoy. Legendary drummer, one of my favorite drummers ever, Jimmy Chamberlain. Thank you for talking to me. Uh, you were my birthday gift to myself. I tried to hunt you down to speak to you, so thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> well, happy birthday, and I'm happy to be your uh, your birthday present today. <laughs> what, what, what an honor. Well, I, I got the email about the Jimmy Chamberlain complex, and, um, you know, let's discuss it. I, I've known from seeing you guys in the past, like I, I saw you kind of like as you like as a trio, maybe you and two other guys, but have you added uh, more musicians for the for the new album? Um, we did, but not not for the touring entity. The touring entity is kind of um, it's kind of always in flux, right? Whoever's available kind of comes along. But the core band, me, Sean, and Moeller, um, are the recording unit, and then the other duties are kind of farmed out uh, as we see fit, or or depending on who's available. So, uh, luckily on this record, you know, we were able to get uh, just a whole bevy of great players uh, to participate. You know, with Ben and um shane and um adam benjamin randy ingram i mean and and my buddy frank catalano i mean it was just it just the stars just lined up and everything kind of worked out and everybody was was available to participate so that's you know that's why the record sounds like it does because we had such a great great musicians yeah. on it 
man, it is, it's a, it's a masterpiece. And, uh, you know, uh, from your perspective, uh, you know, what inspired the title and the song names? I mean, I have an idea, but I just like how they all like honor was the first one I caught hold of, but what made you give them like specific names like that in the titles of the songs just go around? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's partially a reflection, uh, on my relationship with the guys in the band, um, and just our commitment to our instruments, uh, and then accountability. Um, but also, you know, kind of a, a sub commentary on, uh, the things that maybe we're, we're overlooking or missing, um, you know, in the current kind of social climate. So, you know, I have two kids. I mean, I, I try to raise them, you know, with honor in mind and those types of things. So I just thought that the titles were very poignant, uh, both for, from a social standpoint, but also from my relationship with the band. I mean, it's really, you know, I've had a 20-year friendship and relationship with Billy Moeller, Sean, uh, a lot of these guys, Nate Wood, who mastered the records, a dear friend of mine. Um, you know, all these guys are like family members. So, and they're all I'm always humbled by, you know, their continued commitment to their instrument, to their craft, and also to just being good, good people. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that, you know, is in short supply these days in, a, in, a, in the kind of world when you look around and everybody seems to be only interested in what they can get and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. You know, dedication and discipline have kind of gone by the wayside. And, you know, I don't want to sound like an old guy, you know, bitching about the youth of today. But, I mean, I think, you know, even even amongst my contemporaries and, and my age group, there's a lot of kind of, you know, disloyalty and dishonor and compartmentalization and fragmentation of groups and subgroups of people where, you know, for me and and this kind of cadre of musicians, it's really about, the power comes from the unity, right? Not from the separation. Um, yeah. And I think where you see, you know, people being more and more controlled, it comes from that fragmentation and this, uh, and this kind of uh, unwillingness to unify and, uh, and, and everybody look at everybody as equals. Um, so it's just, you know, that's, that was kind of the impetus for the titles. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, and you brought up your kids. Uh, aren't they in their teens now, your kids? They are, yeah. My daughter's 17. She's going to college next year. My son's 14. So it's just kind of gone by in the blink of an eye. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. as they always say, it's uh, it happens kind of overnight. I just, whenever I look at my daughter, I just still think about her, you know, driving her home from the hospital, even though, you know, it was 17 years ago. Yeah. But she had great, great kids. My son's a, my son's a competitive gymnast. Um, he just does really well. He loves the sport. Um, it's really kept him focused. It's kind of his his version of what I was like when I was young, just for throwing myself into the drum set. He just throws himself into gymnastics. Um, but yeah, it's been a journey. I mean, it's always, it's always an adventure, you know? Yeah. No, without a doubt. You know, I was thinking about, uh, my, my, uh, my daughter who's with me, we're actually heading from Nashville to Detroit, uh, to go to the, uh, Hitsville USA, the Motown museum. The first time. Oh, nice. Pump. But, um, anyway, back to, uh, children. I, uh, I wanted to ask you, like, since you became a dad, I was always wondering, did that change, like, or affect your approach to music? You pretty much did the, the last part, but, like, how you play music and your perspective on songs and everything? No, not really. I mean, I don't I don't feel like that part of me changed. I, I feel like that that relationship is so old and so intact that it's really, it's really you know, it kind of stays in its own lane. Um 
yeah. and not a lot not a lot pushes that those things around. I mean, obviously the creative process works like it does, but as far as you know how much time I dedicate to my instrument, those types of things, I still you know practice a lot. I still have a I've been taking lessons from this guy Steve Lyman, uh, who's a great jazz drummer. I'm always you know trying to push myself and get better. Um, you know, I think it's I think it becomes those components of being a musician, I think become important as you try to lead your family by example um, and show them that, you know, living in present time and the work that you're doing is where you need to focus on and not kind of the past or pre or future. Right. So uh -huh. I think that's, that's, what's cool about having a relationship uh, with an instrument or being a musician is you're, you're able to kind of walk the walk in an interesting way that that's, that's visible to those around you. Yeah, that's awesome. I, the reason I ask is because, like, you know, being a parent myself and, and, you know, having another birthday and getting a little bit older, it's just I, I feel different than I used to when I was, you know, younger and, and more full of uh, vigor, I guess you could say. I, I didn't know if, like, it changed your perspective. I know the drumming's still the same. I mean, you're still killing it. I just didn't know if it, like, changed your approach in any way. So, But I, I'm, I really liked your insight on that. Well, I think you become I think you become better at being more articulate with less. I think, you know, as you, as when you're young, you've got a lot to say and a little time to say it, right? So that's where, you know, you hear records like Gish or Siamese Dream and there's a lot of information coming down the pipe, you know, in a single song. As you get older, you realize, you know, that that the same things can be said with fewer words and maybe more even more impact, right? And you start to use things like dynamics and, you know, more adherence to narratives and songs to create more, more powerful uh, drum compositions um, without that kind of, you know, uh, uh, busyness or, you know, the stuff that's kind of rooted in, in youth. And, and I mean, you know, the complex is a good example of me. I still like to play busy like that when it's, when it's the right architecture and environment, but I feel like you just, you know, you get, you get to be a better conversationalist as you get older. At least that's the goal. Yeah, no, uh, without a doubt. Oh, well, well, even in the in the complex, uh, the Jimmy Chamberlain complex, I, you know, being a drummer and, and and loving and really appreciating the drums, especially your styling. Um, I feel like uh, are these songs built around your drumming instead of like starting with like a guitar riff or like some lyrics or something? Do they start building around your ideas in this band? Uh, it depends, you know. It, it depends. Like that song, commitment was one song that I had written just for a drum clinic. Um, just because I, I, I was looking for something in 6-8 uh, to play, and I didn't really have anything. So I, I wrote that song uh, and then sent it to those guys, and they and they, they reached my bass and guitar and put their own stuff on. So that's that's one example of kind of how that can work. But the other songs on Honor were just, we just got together for an afternoon, and, uh, you know, everybody brought some ideas to the table. One, you know, one may be a drum groove or an idea that's sung by somebody or Moeller's got a couple riffs here, there, Sean's got a riff. And we, we just kind of jam around until we find something that we all feel is compelling. And then we write another part for it and then arrange it and then just record it. So the, the, the four main songs on honor were recorded just in one afternoon uh, over oh, wow. at Moeller's, Moeller's studio. And I think including, and I didn't have a drum kit because I was recording over a village in Los Angeles. We were doing demos for the shiny and oh so bright stuff. Um, so I had, uh, I had to borrow, I borrowed a kit from a guy who I didn't even know. I just, uh, a friend of mine knew this guy who had a kit. I borrowed it from him 
And I think from the time we got the kit, we set it up and we recorded those four songs. I don't think it was more than like four hours. So it was just, oh, wow. it was, it was just like an after an afternoon because we weren't really trying to make a record. We were just trying to get together and Muller was trying out some new microphones. He had his, had just built his studio. So we were trying to, you know, see what we could see, what kind of sounds we could get. And we ended up with those four songs and then we just went and got some coffee. And then later we added the horns and the keyboards, um, uh, with with Ben and and Shane and Frank and those guys, um, so yeah, it's just you know it's a pretty organic process. We don't really the, the the kind of concept behind the complex is really just to have it be a live documentation of just whatever we're doing whenever we're recording, just kind of document in real time and try to capture the the, the emotional feel of what we're doing and uh, get it down on some tape. Well, I'll tell you, that kind of threw me for a surprise because it's so intricate and well put together. When you say, like, in one day, it just kind of blew my mind there a little bit while you were talking. Because <laughs> it is the biggest knees, my man. You guys have captured lightning in a bottle. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, and the response to the record has been incredible. And, and like I said, we had no no, uh, no idea that it was even going to ever come out. I mean, it was just kind of jams, and we didn't really even have titles for the songs, which was kind of the hardest part of about making the record was coming up with titles. You know, Moeller was like, Hey, let's, let's put this stuff out. Do you have titles? So I mean, you know, I just sit around all evening and figure out what we're going to call this thing probably took longer than it did to record the darn thing. <laughs> but, wow. but, Man, but yeah, awesome. I mean, but those guys are good. And we, you know, we've played together for long enough to where, you know, we're finishing each other's sentences. I mean, there's a lot of intuition in that playing and, you know, from spending, you know, weeks in vans with people and touring the world with those guys, you know, you know, kind of how they're going to behave in certain situations. So it's easy to support it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and speaking of touring, like I said, I was telling you earlier, uh, my daughter and I, she's 20. Uh, and uh, as we're getting ready to take our trip from Nashville to Detroit, we're trying to figure out how to sync our rental car with phones. And guess what the first song that popped up out of her Spotify was? What? 1979, man. I was so proud of her. I said, way to go. That's my girl. So it's passed down. It's it's, it's going through another generation, just timeless stuff. And it's all accredited to, uh, I guess, when she was a baby, I was pumping out your music, uh, you know, through the through the hallways there. <laughs> yeah, it happens, you know. It happens that way. It's, uh, my, wife, my wife went to see uh, David Bowie when she was pregnant with Audrey, my oldest, and now Audrey's a... She's a crazy David Bowie fan. So I think there's I think there's some osmosis that happens that way. Yeah. Hey, I mean it's just it, when it's when it's uh, great music and it's timeless it, it has no problem getting passed down and I just uh, I just thought that was cool because you know uh we don't really discuss too much of the podcasting. It's like my uh my hobby that I adore, but that just happened to pop up and I just thought it was like I was like all right, the universe is lined up. We'll have this good conversation. That that's a good sign there. Yeah, it's a good good barometer, man, for for good yeah. parenting. What your kids are listening to, you know. I always yeah. I always hit up my daughter for like, what are you listening to? What should I be listening to? And she's she's got pretty good taste in music, so she's already always hipping me to the new stuff. Like, Dad, you got to hear this. You got to listen to this. Or we'll sit down and listen to a couple sides of a record. And I had her. Uh, we listened to Giant Steps by John Coltrane the other night, and she she was she was just. She's a singer, so she was just r- remarking about how complex the the key changes were and and everything in the song. And then we got online and we listened to some jazz cats dissect the music. It was super fun. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, no, it's it's always fun to share something like that with your kids, especially something you you're passionate about, and uh, you know it's always a great feeling because it's like, well, you you did something right when they're listening to something that means something to you. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> but um, let me ask you this. I was kind of curious. This is this is a drumming question. Um, I, I noticed you know watching you play uh, throughout your career. Um, you don't uh, you know with you were talking about today's youth. It seems like every drummer is like every five seconds flipping a drumstick, throwing it in the air, tossing it behind his back or whatever. You don't add a lot to that into your playing. And I was just uh, wondering, do you do you feel like that like takes away from the playing when you're you know doing all these tricks like you know your Motley Crue's back in the day, your poisons and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I love that stuff, and I and I love watching. You know, Tommy obviously he's a good friend, and um, you know, Taz Bentley who used to play with uh, Reverend Horton Heat was a great just twir- stick twirler, and just I just I don't know, man. I just never learned to do that stuff. I'm just not I'm just not good at it, and I just <laughs> I was like I always felt like my gig's hard enough, man. Why try to make it harder, you know? Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I love, you know, watching that stuff, especially drum corps guys. I mean, that's some really, you know, some crazy acrobatics that are going on, um, with, with sticks and everything and passing them back and forth. But I just, I just never, I just never got into it. It just never felt like, oh, like this is cool. I want to do it. Um, so, I mean, that's just, that's the honest answer. I just never, never practiced it. Yeah. Uh, the reason I asked is because uh, I'm kind of in the same boat, like, it's 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 harder to keep the song going, and I can do a little bit of it, but like these guys are like tossing them as they're hitting their cymbals. I've never had the gift, so <laughs> I just uh, I was wondering what your approach was to it. I just um, I've tried, you know, I can do a little bit of stick flipping, but some of the stuff they're doing is just like way beyond my uh, my abilities. Oh yeah, no, some of those guys are just they're great drummers and they're great showmen. So it's you know it's just for me, I just felt like I got enough. I got enough problems just playing the drums. I don't need to add any <laughs> add any complexity to it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, are you guys? Uh, I know you know the world's shut down, but are you going to be doing anything as far as like like mini tours, drive-in tours, or, or or you know live streams or anything with this music? No, at this moment we're really not. We're we're not really planning on anything. Everything's really in flux, and we want to just wait till everything level sets before we come up with a game plan. I mean. The complex is kind of always it's always kind of ready to go whenever we don't really rehearse so if we if a gig comes up then we'll just go and go and play it but i'd love to i think with the response to honor you know when things do uh normalize a little bit we'll uh we'll probably put together a tour and go play this stuff and i'd love to get like shane Ensley and ben wendell and those guys on stage in new york and you know frank in chicago and really and really blow it out be super fun yeah it'd be awesome and uh, we'd like to get you here probably at the Ryman as well, get you here. Now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we would love that. <laughs> um, uh, another question I wanted to bring up because, it, you know, it's a sudden event. Uh, Van, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen, have you had any dealings with him? What are your thoughts on his, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate passing uh, due to cancer? Yeah, just this tragedy, man. I mean, Van Halen was, you know, that first record was the soundtrack to my freshman year of high school. Um, you know, my friend Dave Cap used to pick me up in his uh, in his '68 Camaro convertible, and we'd blast that Van Halen record all the way to Joliet Catholic High. <laughs> um, I mean, it was the soundtrack of that year, right? I mean, it was just uh, when that record came out, everything changed. I mean, the guitar got way cooler, it got way more complicated, um, it got way more articulate, it got way more everything. 
Um, I never knew, I never met Eddie, but I know Billy uh, Corrigan had a good relationship with him. I know Jeff Schroeder had met him a couple times and said, you know, nothing but just the greatest things about him. Just he was as nice as he was uh, a virtuosic in the, in, on the guitar um, and just as nice as, as a person. So, you know, I think, I mean, you know, we're all getting older. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the guys that we grew up with, um, you know, the guys that I looked up to, too, as 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 a kid, I mean, they're 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 older now. They're in their seventies and eighties, and obviously Eddie passed away way too soon. But you know, that's that's just that's the way it is. I mean, people are just getting people are getting up there, and guys that you think are like, you know, it's what's what struck me the most is like, I always I still think of Van Halen as like a young band, right? I still think yeah, like yeah, sure. like. Yeah. Like my my high school band, the Warrior Band, you know, we covered like uh, Everybody Wants Some and Unchained and You Really Got Me. And I mean, I was playing those songs like as soon as they came out. And I think that's how you always think about those guys. You know, I always think of them as like the young kind of good time band that they were. Um, And you don't until something like this happens, you don't realize like how. Every, like I'm getting older, everybody else is getting older too, right? It kind of hits you like yeah. that. We're like, wow. It's, it's like Van Halen. I just I just remember like 1978 in my, in my friend's car <laughs> and then playing those songs in bars that I wasn't even old enough to get into, you know, later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a, and like I said, you know, uh, it, is, it is wild, like, because I'm at that age now where all of my heroes, they're on the classic rock station. You talk about throwing a guy for a loop. Turn on one of these what they call classic rock and do a song that you know you're thinking is you know just as fresh as the day it came out in '96 or '98. Oh yeah, yeah. When you start hearing Pumpkins or Alice in Chains on the classic rock, that's what they're like. Oh my God, really? Just exactly because, like you said, your heroes like like you are to me and, and you know things like that. You you don't look at them as an age. You look at like your superhero that's just going to live forever. So it always throws you for a loop when something happens to one of them. Yeah, I think so, right? I think you just you just always remember them like they were where they were when they made the biggest impression on you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, um, one more question, and thank you for your time. It was it really was a thrill. I really appreciate you, you know, speaking with me today. Um, uh, what's going on with the Smashing Pumpkins? What's what's the what's the update? Yeah, so just you know, just kind of uh, from a touring standpoint, still in a holding pattern, uh, wondering kind of what next year is looking like. Uh, we're starting to record uh, some more music. Um, uh, Billy and I are working on some stuff right now. Um, just sending some demos back and forth. Um, you know, we're having like three three days a week. We have a Zoom meeting with that, with everybody in the band to kind of keep everybody on point and um, you know sharing ideas so everybody's able to participate. Um, and we're just we're just kind of playing ideas for each other over Zoom and and trying to get a beat on. Um, yeah. you know, make making some more music since we're not since we're not touring. We just want to try to make the most of our time and spend it as wisely as we can. The Uncharted Podcast is proud to welcome Robin Wilson, lead vocalist of the Gin Blossoms, the guy that made playing tambourine and alternative rock music look cool. We're gonna discuss that right now. Enjoy. Robin, uh, like I said, thank you so much. I'm, uh, next week is my birthday. I'm going to put you on my birthday episode. Uh, huge Sweet. fan of your, of your body of work, and, and uh, it's really an honor to get to talk to you, so thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Josh, and happy birthday. 
Thank you. I'm uh, 38 years old. I'm getting gray hair and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, that's great. I turned 55 this summer, so, uh, you know, there you go. That's awesome. Uh, let me just tell you how vital the gin blossoms were to my life. My first ever girlfriend, you guys were the creme de la creme, and we would sit and listen to you when we were figuring out life. So just thank you for all your contributions. <laughs> well, my my pleasure. You know, I had uh, I had plenty of moments like that that uh, brought me to this place. You know, it's because I'm a fan of rock and roll, and I wanted to be like my heroes. So that's that's why I that's why I do this, and why I'm so grateful that I've been able to do it now for 32 years. So. Yeah. Um, with that being said, what what uh, what I caught my eye I was watching your uh, your Facebook and everything, and you've been doing something I've never really seen anybody do, and that's like you've been rocking and rolling on your uh, front lawn there for a while. That's that's awesome. What made you decide that was the route to go right now? <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, I was doing live stream performances down in my recording studio, and that was pretty fun and. Um, you know, it, it had its uh, function, you know, it was rewarding and it was cathartic and it was a way for me to stay in touch with our fans and let people know that, uh, you know, that I was with them and, uh, and that, you know, also because it's my only function in society is to be a, is to be a rock singer, you know, when quarantine started, I'm like, I was feeling so useless, you know, I was looking at the the garbage men and the people at the grocery store and I'm like, damn, these are the people that are holding society together right now. And, you know, what, a, what do I have to offer? You know, and I'm like, well, I better, I better break out the microphones and start singing because that's, that's it. That's what I got to give, you know? And so after a few months down in the basement and the weather started getting nice, uh, you know, and also for the first time in my life, I, I'm home for ex an extended period of time. This is something that I've, I've never experienced in my adult life, to be home for more than a few weeks at a time. And so I've started, you know, like meeting my neighbors. Uh -huh. And so I'd meet my neighbors and I would explain, well, I'm a rock singer and, I'm, you know, I'm out of work until, you know, until this thing is over. And they're like, oh, you're a you're a singer, huh? Well, that's, that's just great. You stick with it, you know? And I'm like, uh, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, I'll do that. I'll, uh, I'll stick with it. And so it just occurred to me that there was no reason I couldn't just set up my PA out in the front yard and do my live stream performance out in the, out in the front yard and entertain my neighbors, you know, and the way my house is, I'm out in the front yard right now. Um, you, it, all the neighbors can come out in their yards in uh you know and pull out folding chairs and stuff and they they can all see the show you know i i have a corner lot and you know uh when my neighbors come out on their front steps or whatever you know uh, they can all see so you know i've got basically about eight houses uh within like view of my house that can see the show and so I started telling people you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do a show out in the front yard and you know you should invite some friends and you know pull up your chairs and bring out a bottle of wine and they're all you know some of them are like oh you're you're a performer huh and I'm like oh, yeah you'll see and 
so you know, it was a it was a big it was a big success right right from the beginning. You know, it was something that people really needed, and I you know I was able to perform for about you know fifty or so people out in the front yard, and you know it, one of one of my neighbors you know as soon as I finished the set. I go around, you know, giving everybody L bumps. And one of my neighbors uh, said to me, Robin, this is so great the way you're bringing the neighborhood together. And I swear to God, that was the the best thing I've heard all year. You know, it was it was yeah. such a great moment and it was it was so uh, rewarding for me to hear that. And so uh you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. The weather's going to get pretty shitty here on Long Island pretty soon, but I, I am, I am planning a really special uh, outdoor concert for Halloween, which has always been my favorite holiday. And I, I would normally like really dress up my house, and um, my son and I, for the last few years, we'd be like hiding in the bushes when the kids come walk up and. Uh, we we jump out and spook them, and I mean we literally made children cry uh, the last few Halloweens in a row, uh, scaring the piss out of the neighborhood kids. And I just I just love Halloween so much, and so I just I'm doing a Halloween show out in the front yard, and I'm very excited. I'm going to be performing uh, with the Smithereens and Marshall Crenshaw. Um, and my son has put together uh, an act with some of his friends. They're going to do some songs, and then we're hoping to have another performer, a New York songwriter named Willie Nile, and so we're going to have a four-act bill for for the Halloween show, and I'm I'm super excited about that. And this is all in the front yard? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my so, God. Uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great, you know. I uh, you might have seen I did a, a one of one of the outdoor concerts I did was with the Smithereens a couple months ago, uh-huh. and th- that was so much fun, and their fans really ate it up. And uh, you know, I said to them then, you know, let's let's do this again in a couple of months, and you know, I've been looking at the calendar for a while now, and so I I realized well Halloween would be great because you know there's going to be no trick or treating this year or very, you know, very, very little of it. Um, but this would give me, you know, an excuse to, you know, put on a costume and invite the neighborhood out and the neighborhood kids can, you know, stroll by in their costumes at least, you know, I mean, there's no handing out candy. I mean, nobody's going to be taking candy, uh, you know, from anyone, but, um, at least, you know, there'll be some sort of event and, it's going to be really special for me to perform with, with Marshall Crenshaw and the Smithereens and my yeah. son uh, out in the front yard for Halloween. So yeah, looking that's forward. Awesome. That's uh, yeah. making me jealous that I'm in Nashville and not uh, Long Island, New York. <laughs> no. um, no, if you want to rent an RV, uh, you know, and drive out here, you know, you're going to need a place to piss. That's That's one of the tricky things about holding the – the concert's out in the front yard. I can't really invite people inside to pee, you know? Yeah. So uh, uh, I've met a few people, you know, like I ride my bike every day in the park and there's these, there's certain people that I see every day. And so I wave to them and over the months, 
I've met uh, I've met a few of them, and then you know a few months back I I had met these ladies in the park, and I see them every single day. And so I one day I was riding my bike, and I stopped, and I said, you know, I want I want to you know introduce myself and invite you to this concert I'm doing out in the front yard. And you know, it's the whole the whole thing starts again. Oh, you're you're a performer, really? What kind of music do you play? Well, I'm a I'm a rock and roll singer, and they're like, oh, that's that's great. You know, where do you play? You know, and <laughs> I have to sort of explain. Well, we're like a mid-level band. You know, we do okay. You know, sometimes we play. We played in plenty of stadiums, and sure, we've been on television, but you know, we're like a mid-level act. So you know, we do a lot of casinos and the occasional auto dealership parking lot, or you know the. <laughs> the amphitheater at SeaWorld or whatever the hell it is, you know. Um, and they're like, oh, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Have we ever heard of you? And I'm like, well, there's a good chance you were on an airplane once and one of our songs came on if you were watching a movie, uh, you know. There's a chance you've heard us, you know. So yeah. uh, go figure. Very, anyway. very modest uh, one thing I appreciate uh, from you speaking with me and other interviews you've done is that you're actually a hilarious person. Have you ever had any comedic endeavors? Like, I, I think you would have a knack for probably, like, the art of stand-up or something. Has that ever been a, a, a avenue you've wanted to pursue? No, no, not really. I, I am involved in another type of creative project right now that will involve comedy, but uh, I'm I'm not a comedian. I'm not a... I'm not a comedy writer. Every once in a while, I, I do manage to say something funny. Um, I've had my moments on stage where I've been able to, you know, crack up the entire audience, you know, but it's, uh, you know, it's all spontaneous, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Uh-oh, is that the ice cream truck? Yeah, yeah that, that ice cream truck has, uh, that, that guy's been at it every day since the quarantine began, you know. Uh <laughs> Every single day, he comes, I bet comes around. Yeah, racking up. That's awesome. Well, um, well, I hope I hope he does okay. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say. I, you know, I think he he must do all right. He's still still driving around. So yeah. you know, but for all I know, he's like selling drugs. You know, who knows? Yeah, let's hope. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I was kind of curious as well. How did you get from Arizona to Long Island, New York? Well, uh, this is where my ex-wife is from, nice. and so, uh, you know, we've got a son. He just graduated from high school. He just started college, and, uh, you know, when my marriage ended, I'm like, well, I'll, I'll see it through till he's out of high school. I, I really haven't, you know, up until recently, I haven't much cared for Long Island. And I always figured I would move away when my son graduated from high school. But, you know, it became clear to me over the last few years that I should probably stick it out for a while and be here for him. And, you know, as it happens, you know, since since quarantine, I, you know, I've been living here for a long time. But usually I complain about it and I bitch about it. And I, I there's a lot of things about Long Island I don't like. But you know since quarantine i've i've really bonded with my neighborhood i've, I've come to to find a, a lot of the, the the great and beautiful things about long island um i still miss mexican food and the roads here fucking suck um <laughs> you know and there's 
there's just as many hillbillies on Long Island as there are anywhere else, you know, but, um, you know, I've, I've, I've come to love it. And, you know, especially since the quarantine, you know, I live in a really nice neighborhood, you know, this is, this is like the real America that I'm in, I'm living in. It's very, uh, very mixed race and, you know, just salt of the earth, uh, folks, uh, up and down my street and, you know, a lot of, a lot of characters and I've gotten to know a lot of them, you know, before quarantine, I didn't know any of them. And now I must know at least like, uh, 20 people in my neighborhood and, you know, I go riding my bike or I walk the dog and I'll wave to somebody and they'll go, hey, you're the guy who was doing the concert. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah. So, you know, I could probably run for mayor of, uh, of, of my town, you know, as, uh, as it stands right now. So, uh, you know, I've, uh, this is where, like I say, this is where my ex-wife is from. And, you know, uh, interesting note, uh, her name is Jenna. And for 24 years now, she has been the floor director at Saturday Night Live. And wow. today, today was her first day back work uh, since the quarantine uh, began. Saturday Night Live is going live this weekend. And it's, I mean, it's going to be a really cool show. They got some cool stuff lined up. And, um, you know, so she's she's back at work, and I'm I'm real excited for her. And uh, yeah, the show this weekend is going to be really cool. They got some some pretty cool stuff planned. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'm all about Saturday Night Live. I I recall seeing the Gin Blossoms on there, if I do remember. Yeah, yeah, we were on in the spring of '96, and Jenna got her job there in the fall of '96. So she was, uh, she's really close uh, with the, who, the girl who was the director at the time. And uh, so she started working there just a few months after we were on the show. And for several years after that, our photograph was uh, hanging in one of the dressing rooms uh, down there. And so anytime I would go to visit her at work, you know, I had like full on credibility because I had actually like been on the show uh-huh. and it was always cool for me to see our photograph, you know, on the wall. It's not there anymore. They redecorated probably 15 years ago or something, but, um, you know, it's, it's cool to have some connection to that place, so much history. And I usually, I still go to see the show taped, uh, you know, a couple times a year. And uh, my son has grown up down there. So, you know, he's, he's, since he was a baby, he's been hanging out uh, at 30 Rock and uh, he knows, he knows all those people. And, you know, there's a, there's a chance one day, uh, you know, he might be working for Jimmy Fallon or something like that, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to have that, you know, family connection to, uh, you know, uh, such a storied institution that, uh, you know, for my band to have appeared on that show, it was certainly one of the highlights of our career. And, you know, when we were on the show, the host was Phil Hartman. Wow. And one of the, one of the single coolest moments of my life, uh, the director at the time, Beth, um, 
had told Phil Hartman, oh, Robin is a big fan of yours. He's a big fan of The Simpsons. And so I walk onto the set to do our rehearsal, and Phil Hartman walks right up to me. He shakes my hand, really just awesome handshake, and he says, hi, Robin, I'm Troy McClure. And you may remember me from such educational films as Locker Room Towel Fights, The Blinding of Larry Driscoll. And, you know, my jaw hit the floor. And, uh, you know, it was a a super special moment for me to... uh... Sorry. It was a great moment for me to get to meet Phil Hartman and for him to do Troy McClure. And at the end of the show... He came into our dressing room and fired up a joint, and we smoked a joint with Phil Hartman <laughs> and David Spade. And Phil Hartman told us a story about when he was a one night he was a roadie for Hendrix, and uh, apparently, like the drum kit started coming off the riser, and Phil Hartman had to go out onto the stage and physically hold the drum set in place while uh, while the band was playing. And he said there was a moment where Hendrix is in the middle of a solo and looks over and sees him like holding the drum set in place and just kind of shouts at him, you're rocking now, roadie man. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, yeah, super, super cool. Yeah, that must have been fantastic. Yeah, I was, I was going to say the 96 crew anyway was, that was the creme de la creme as far as, like, the ones I've seen. You know, that was my jam growing up. That was, you know, like your Chris Farley's and, you, like you said, David Spade and Adam Chandler for a spell and all that. So that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Will Ferrell was on then. And, uh, yeah, it was a, that was a definitely a special time. For me, like, my favorite era was, like, right around uh, 1989 when you had, like, John Lovitz and Dana Carvey um that was those are those are some of my favorite years but you know the show has has always uh put out they've they've been and they've been they've got over the last several years they've had so many incredible people amy poehler and Kristen wig and you know it's it's a pretty amazing cast seth myers is is one of my all-time favorites and i i i watch seth myers every day um yeah i think he's fantastic so yeah, he's uh, great. Yeah, Will Forte is a is a guy for me. I'm a Will Forte fan. You remember him? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. And uh, you know, Fred Armisen is one of my favorites. And and Fred actually is from uh, this town right here, Valley Stream, New York. Fred went to the same high school as my ex-wife and that my son went to. And uh, also, former cast member Jim Brewer also went to the same high school. Uh, Valley Stream Central High School put out two. Saturday Night Live cast members and a stage manager. So uh, go figure. Yeah. That's awesome. What what yeah. a cool connection. Uh, you you and uh, Jen Blossom, Saturday Night Live. And Fred Armisen, you mentioned uh, Dana Carvey, uh, both fantastic musicians in their own right. Uh, yeah. You know, they both can play drums, but I think Fred plays other instruments as well. Fred's an amazing uh, all-around talent, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping – I'm hoping to work with him someday. You know, I got something cooking that uh, I, I, I'm I'm kind of hoping I can rope Fred into. But you know, we'll we'll see about that. You know, that, that would um, be that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I wanted to bring up something to you uh, that I that I always wanted to say if I ever got to speak with you. But you're the only rock and roll star I ever knew that made it really cool looking to play the tambourine. Like I've never seen anybody. Oh, rock thank you. You and you did it to the fullest. Like you made it look awesome. You made it look okay. So kudos to that. Like what? Thank you. I know you're a guitar player, um, but what what made you decide to just pick up that tambourine and start wailing away with it? Well, you know, honestly, it was someone way cooler looking than me. It was um, Ian Astbury of The Cult. Um, I'm a huge fan of The Cult. And, uh, you know, their their records uh, definitely inspired me. And, you know, they made a, uh, you know, they had a song called She Sells Sanctuary. And in the video, you know, Ian looks so freaking cool, you know, just as sort of a Mick Jagger kind of vibe and he's playing the tambourine and then uh, when they released their record uh, Electric the opening track is called Wild Flower and um, the you know the the record is produced by uh, what's this is it uh, Rick Rick Baker is that what I'm thinking of the guy who produced Beastie Boys and Uh, Rick Clark and Ruben I'm sorry yeah Rick Baker's a special effects guy all right uh yeah, Rick Rubin produced the the Cult Electric, and it's just such a great sounding album. And the opening track, Wild Flower, the chorus comes in, and there's this tambourine, and it just just fired me up. And you know, I was probably 20 years old when that record came out, and I I remember distinctly uh, thinking in these words, "If I'm ever a lead singer, I'm gonna play tambourine." <laughs> and I, so I went out and bought a tambourine and I would play along with those cult records and uh, Beatles records. And I, uh, you know, I, I learned how to play tambourine and all its uh, subtleties, you know, and uh, it's something that I, you know, I set out to master and it was something that I always wanted, uh, you know, to be good at. And, you know, I worked with producers that, that for the most part think that they're the only people that know how to play tambourine and I show up and I'm like, no, I got this. And, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, you can play the tambourine. So yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because it is a, it is a, a real point of pride for me. And uh, so again, to reinforce the answer to your question, it's specifically because of Ian Asbury and the cult that I play tambourine. So I stand upon the shoulders of giants. <laughs> I I'll have to check out uh, that music now that you said that because I wasn't aware, but I just always remember watching you rock it, and you know most people shied away from it, but you just you just made it look cool, and I was like, wow, the one guy that makes it look cool. I mean, I have a tambourine, and as I showed you via text, I just got a new miserable experience on vinyl. I got a record player not too long ago. I have a tambourine, and I play along with you when I'm in my room and nobody's at home. All right. <laughs> That's great. Well, it it, it continues, you know. Uh, it, that that's great, you know. I I just I just recorded some tambourine last week, and uh, you know it sounds great on this track that I that I'm putting together. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a it's a cool thing to play tambourine. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like I said, I, I was gonna jingle it just so you know, I wasn't kidding. But uh, I play play drums, but um, you know, uh, I'm learning some. Uh, I need a tambourine master class, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, then you know, uh, like what I did, again, is I, you know, I played along with the Colts and the Beatles, and you know, any other time I would hear 
a song in my record collection that that had tambourine on it uh you know i would i would play that song i remember my roommates coming home back when i was like 20 years old and uh one of my roommates uh, came home and i was in the living room you know just smoking dope and playing tambourine had the stereo cranking and my roommate just stood there in the corner he didn't say anything he just watched me and he he waited until I turned around and saw him and he, you know, just kind of was laughing at me, you know, and just like, you know, what, what are you doing? And I was just like, dude, I'm, I'm on to something here, man. I, I swear I, I'm going to make something out of this, you know, you're going to take the tambourine around the world. I, I'm glad you did. Like I said, you give it justice. You're one of the few, like I said, I'm going to have to look up the, uh, the music you were telling me about earlier, for sure. But uh, as yeah. far as I knew, you're the only one that did it and made it look, you know, I was like, well, he makes it look all right. He's, uh, yeah. he's standing up for the uh, often, uh, you know, not looked upon tambourine. <laughs> so, uh, no, it, yeah, it's a, it's a great instrument. And a lot of people, uh, you know, can't can't play it, you know. Um, and But but I think it adds a lot. And it's always uh, – our producer, John Hampton, there was a phrase he used to say, uh, something they would say at Arden Studios all the time when they would be pretty much done with the record, they'd be like, "All right, well, slap a tambourine on it and let's mix it." And uh, <laughs> you know, it's always just kind of you know the icing on the cake, you know, the finishing touch. Yeah, I, I was thinking uh, while you were talking, it was you know we were mentioning Saturday Night Live. It, uh, I think uh, now's generation would be cool with you know like they did the homage to the cowbell in the nineties. They need to do a yeah. segment with you guys with the tambourine, you know, more tambourine. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm ready when they call, you know. That's the, the powers that be. Um, I, I wanted to bring up uh, my favorite song, uh, you know, in the whole catalog you guys have is Until I Fall Away. In, intricate tambourine in that. Uh was really cool to find out that, uh, that you pinned that one. Um, and I just wanted to know what was the writing process with that because that is a, to me, it's just a perfect, song it's like it's it's dark but yet you can just kind of groove to it in any situation and, and, and i'm i really enjoyed that one i just wanted to know what what, you, what your process was when you created it well um it it was inspired by one of my favorite groups uh crowded house yeah and i saw crowded house uh perform in tempe and I actually stumbled, they were playing at this amphitheater that's kind of out in the middle of the city called Hayden Square Amphitheater. And uh, it was sort of surrounded by nightclubs and, you know, just off of Mill Avenue where the scene was. And I was uh, riding my skateboard, my skateboard back to my apartment and I heard Crowded House sound checking in the afternoon. And so I skated over as close as I could get to the stage and I was watching them, and they have a song called Whenever I Fall at Your Feet. And I was I was so blown away by Crowded House, these beautiful harmonies and this lovely plaintive song and this plaintive lyric. And I'm like, man, I, sh- I need to write something like that. And uh, right around that time, uh, you know, I had some shit go down that made me really sad, and I was just kind of in a in the dumps and... Uh, you know, I just I stumbled upon that lyric uh, until I fall away. And so, you know, I coughed up the song. I wrote the song. And uh, what happened was I had uh, 
I had recorded a, a several tunes uh, on my four track. And when we got to Memphis to record New Miserable Experience, uh, the band hadn't rehearsed in months. And I was really pissed off because I had all these new songs. I was hoping some of them would get on the record. And, uh, you know, Doug Hopkins, our lead guitar player at the time, he was really lazy. He would do anything to get out of practice. And, and he really, he didn't really want to do my songs either, you know. And so I was really pissed off. And, when we got to Memphis and so for like the first week of uh, the sessions, you know, I was kind of pissed off and pouting and just sort of distant from the whole thing. You know, I was, I was there to perform and I, I was performing at the top of my game, but I just wasn't really hanging out with the band. I wasn't very happy because I, I wasn't going to have any of my new material on the record. And, Anyway, the producer, John Hampton, he caught on to this vibe, and he, when I wasn't around, he asked the guys, what, what the hell's the matter with Robin? And they said, well, he's mad because he's not getting any of his uh, new songs on, on the record. And John's like, well, maybe you guys ought to, you know, throw him a bone and, you know, get, get him more involved in these sessions. Maybe you ought to do one of his songs. And so... I, I got a call one night. I was at the, the band house where I was staying, and um, it was John, and he said, hey, Rob, you know, grab your cassette and come back to the studio. We're going to learn one of your new songs. And I was like, holy shit. All of a sudden, I was terrified that maybe all of my songs sucked, you know, and so I had to go into the studio with my cassette and uh, put it on and you know there are like seven songs on there and you know some of them are okay and a couple of them are really really good and one of those is uh, until I fall away and you know I uh, you know I played the songs for everybody and there was a moment where Doug Hopkins kind of said well if we're if we're gonna do one let's do until I fall away and so uh, well, we learned we learned the song and we tracked it and you know it came out great and then I remember you know after the record was mixed our A and R guy Brian he called he called me one day and he said hey Robin until I fall away is a hit it's gonna be a single right and on. I was like oh are you are you kidding holy holy crap Doug is gonna be so pissed off and so jealous that. You know that I wrote one of the singles. You know, but it was uh, you know it was a moment of of validation. You know, um, you know as a young songwriter, you know in that group I'm competing with Jesse and Doug, who were more experienced than I was, and you know it was easy to sort of second guess whether or not I I was any good at it, and you know so that you know having having that song become a single and for it to become a top 10 single uh, was, you know, was extreme, extraordinary validation. And there was one moment I, we were out on tour and I remember I, I got into the elevator at the hotel and there was a Muzak version of Until I Fall Away playing in the elevator. Oh, really? And I was like, <laughs> I'll be damned. I'm like, I I was so proud. I thought, holy crap, I I wrote a song that was good enough to become music? <laughs> Jesus. 
man, I, I've I've made it, you know. Yeah, that's a great. Well, to me, it's one of the greatest songs ever written, um, and it stands the test Aww. of time. It's just, it's beautiful, and uh, I, I thank you for sharing that story with me. I'd have never known, but um, you know, the whole catalog, which is you know, I enjoy it. Um, that's always, I always come to that. That's my favorite song because it just. It's just perfect from beginning to end. You guys really hit the uh, hammer on the on the head with that one. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and and I always want to know because you know I, I I looked up a lot of the songs and, and you know you told me you know about how Doug and how I was like man those guys were really picky about making sure they wrote the songs and from my experience as a musician and talking to people. Uh, a lot of vocalists like to kind of sing their own lyrics for the most part, uh, as far as I've ever been concerned or no. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, uh, a lot of us do, but you know, uh, when I joined Jim Blossoms, they had already been playing out for a couple of months. So the band was kind of already going and I replaced a guy. Um, and so, you know, the material was already there and uh, Doug, Hopkins was a pretty well-established songwriter in our music scene, and uh, Jesse was obviously very skilled, and, uh, you know, he Jesse has a very commanding presence, and, you know, so it was pretty intimidating, you know, for me, and so I just, you know, kind of had to accept that, you know, well, I'm I'm singing these tunes, but I might not get to write too many of them, and uh, like I said, in the, in the early days, it was it was a battle to get them to do my songs, and I, I, you know, I I have to give them credit for uh, you know making me a better songwriter. You know, I mean, all of a sudden I was you know I was just this bedroom songwriter doing open mic nights and stuff, and suddenly I was in this band that was really taken off in our hometown and. Uh, you know, I'm com I'm suddenly competing with Jesse and Doug as a songwriter, and there's there's no doubt that you know that that made me a better songwriter, and it brought something out of me. You know, I suppose it's like if you're a a rookie quarterback and you get to uh, you get to be the guy who's uh, you know Tom Brady's backup. You know, <laughs> you're pro you're probably gonna learn a lot about being a good quarterback, you know, since so being, being in that kind of presence is going to bring something out of you that might not have been there before. And, um, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that I might've become a fully uh, matured songwriter without ever having joined the Jim Blossoms. But the way things happened, I have to give uh, Jesse and Doug a lot of the a lot of the credit for you know for for bringing it out of me. You know? Sure. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's amazing to figure figure out and learn. You know, uh, fortunate enough to do these podcasts, I get to talk to my heroes such as yourself and learn. You know, because you never, uh, you know, sometimes you don't get the opportunity to figure out you know how things are evolved. And in your case, you know, like you said, kind of out of necessity being around two guys that really kind of had their, their uh, songwriting sharpened, I guess you could say. Um, another thing that amazed me with you guys is that you're, you're not the original lead singer. Like, uh, I understand Jesse had that helm for a while. What made you two decide to switch? Well, for one thing, I wasn't a very good guitar player. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I was, 
I was way out of my league as a guitar player, you know, and when, when I joined the band, you know, from the, from the, when I auditioned, Jesse and I started singing together. We were, we were doing like Bodine's covers at, at my audition and just Jesse and I singing together. And from the moment we started singing together, it was just locked in and it sounded great. And everyone in the room knew we were onto something. So, uh, you know, I got hired, I think, mostly as a background vocalist, you know, and they they let me sing lead on a couple of tunes on the first show. And then the second show, I was doing like five songs. And by the third show, I was singing like eight songs. And, you know, a few weeks went by and you know, it, it just started to gel that way. And uh, I remember Jesse coming up to me one night, you know, I'd been in the band for a couple of months at that point. This was uh, probably like uh, April of 1988. And I'd been playing with the band for about six weeks. And Jesse came up and said, hey, Rob, we're going to switch. You're going to be the lead player. And I was just so relieved. I was so relieved because, you know, playing guitar in the gym box was just, it terrified me, you know, I was way out of my league. And I knew I could handle, uh, you know, being the front man. And that's what I always really wanted to do, you know. Uh, my heroes were always the front man, you know. Guys like uh, Freddie Mercury, Ian Asbury, Michael Stike, you know. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. And so all of a sudden... I was the lead singer in the coolest band in town, and I just felt like, man, this is where I'm. This is where I'm supposed to be. I'm really lucky that I found my place. You know? Yeah, it's a good thing you did. I I, I think it would have sounded, uh, you know, different. Obviously, I've I've seen Jesse sing on YouTube and whatnot, but uh, you know, and he's a, he's a phenomenal singer. But it would have changed the whole uh, layout of the Jim Blossom if, if you hadn't over. I mean, you know, I'm not discrediting anybody. I'm just saying the sound is so unique so it's a good thing you guys decided to make that transition yeah i think so too and i'm sure jesse would agree with you you know uh yeah. and, and you're right jesse is a great singer, and uh, you know we've we've got we've got a unique combination of talents and personalities in the band and you know one, one thing you learn when you're in a band like jim blossoms i mean it's not about any one person you know it's a, it's a combination of sounds and influences, it, uh, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the Jim Blossoms if if we weren't all you know contributing, you know, and you know a lot of bands are most bands are like one guy who writes the song and leads the band, you know, like or your Art Alexakis of Everclear. That's the way most bands are. Um, but with Jim Blossoms, it's, it's a combination of things. There's no one person who's the leader. There's no one person who controls it. And, you know, I might do more interviews than anybody else. And I, I you know, I get more attention than the other guys, but, uh, you know, I, I'm the first person to say, you know, um, it ain't a, it ain't all about me, you know. It's it's a it's a group effort, and we're we're a unique band in that sense that we uh, 
you know, we have to combine our talents and our efforts and our influences to to make this glorious noise that is Jim Blossoms, you know. That's great because, you know, a quarterback's only as good as his lineman, and that's awesome that you acknowledge that, uh, you know. That's uh, from a guy that played drums most of his life. Uh, it always means a lot that, you know, uh, the singer who who is the voice, the message of the band, you know, you can hear uh, appreciating everybody else. That's That's got to be uh, one of the dynamics for you guys is, you know, longevity. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, compromise. That's the, yeah. that's the <laughs> secret. That's the secret to, uh, to our longevity is, uh, you know, compromise and understanding and, uh, teamwork and brotherhood, you know, um, you know, it's been tough and we haven't always, uh, haven't always been there, but, you know, over the last like 15 years, say we really became a brotherhood that understood that we were all in this together and we owed each other, uh, you know, a full effort. And, you know, I give our kids a lot of the credit for that. You know, we, um, there was, you know, a moment where we all had young kids and we're all thinking, shit, we gotta, we gotta see this thing through so we can get our kids to college, you know? And, uh, you know, we we owe it to each other to to make this work, and you know it, it's it's not always easy. And there's uh, you know the the other guys will my bandmates would probably tell you that I get my way all the time, but it, it sure doesn't feel like that to me. You know, I feel like yeah. I'm in a constant state of compromise. But you know, we we find the middle ground. And, uh, you know, again, it isn't always easy, but we, we managed to find it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well put. I, uh, I was looking, is it correct? Are you, were you born in Detroit, Michigan? Yeah, that's true. 1965. Well, um, the reason I brought it up is for my birthday next week, I'm actually going to Detroit for the first time to see Hitsville, USA. Oh, sweet. So have a great, great time. Well, be sure to go down to Greektown and have a Coney dog. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I grew up in Arizona and my grandmother, my whole family is from Michigan originally. My parents, all my grandparents were all, were all from Michigan originally. But then my, when, in the early 70s, 1971, my family moved to Arizona. A few years later, my grandmother moved from Detroit to come and help out my dad when he got divorced. And my grandmother used to make chili dogs for me, uh, you know, all the, t- all the time. And it wasn't until I grew up and we went back to Detroit uh, in the band that I realized that uh, chili dogs are a big part of the culture there in, <laughs> in, De- in Detroit. And, uh, and not only that, but they, they don't call them chili dogs. They call them Coney dogs uh, or Coney, Coney Island dogs and, uh, or Coney's. And, uh, I'm like, Coney's, what the hell is that? And like, well, my cousins are like, well, it's chili dogs. And I'm like, well, let's go get some, let's go get some Coney's, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Detroit. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the first time we ever went to Detroit in the band, we pulled into town and there were whole skyscrapers that were boarded up, you know, and it was, it was a really depressed time for Detroit back in the early nineties. And uh, we were we were driving down these streets. It was so ghetto, and 
we were like, we were kind of freaked out, sort of scared about it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's really, it's really come a long way since then. It's a pretty nice town and I'm, I'm sure you're going to have a good, good time uh, when you're there. I just, uh, I've always wanted to see Motown. So I'm going to take the trip, my daughter and I, and, um, I just saw that and I thought, well, it'd be something to bring up. Uh, uh, Plus I live in Columbia, Tennessee, which is close to Spring Hill and, we have a ton of uh, Michigan transplants when we got Saturn, which is now the GM plant. So, mm-hmm. great. Uh, I mean, they're you know they're, they're great people. I just uh, you know I've never been to their turf. <laughs> I've never been yeah. that far north yet, but you know we're gonna we're gonna make a trip next week. So, great, great, uh, great town. You know, so much so much great music came out of that town. So many awesome bands. You know, the Romantics, uh, yeah. the MC MC Five. Uh, you know, uh, White Stripes, uh, yeah, g- g- you know, just so so much great music, and of course, all of you know Motown. So uh, wonderful, wonderful music scene, a lot of great history, and uh, a good, solid American town. So. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and and one seventh of the Eagles, uh, Glenn Fry from Detroit, Michigan. Okay, well, I guess I didn't know that, but uh, <laughs> sure, why not? You know, book uh, <laughs> we'll but um. Uh, last thing, and I, and I really appreciate you talking to me. It's been a thrill. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, I hate to admit this, but you're you're my in my favorite band. I've never seen live, and I'm I've got to see you guys uh, when the world opens back up. So hopefully, you can make an appointment to come back to Nashville. Oh well, I'm sure that'll be one of the first places we uh, we go if we get to put together a tour. You know, uh, you know what they're saying now is that uh, maybe next spring we're going to start doing like drive-in concerts or uh, they, they might start putting together concerts out on uh, golf courses or something and so you know I'll be I'll be very anxious to get to get back to it and to perform with my with my bandmates again you know and uh, it's going to be tough because as a front man I've always felt it was my job to draw the audience in and make them feel like it's just as much about them as it is about us. And so I would always try to get the crowd to get closer to the stage. I've, I've gotten in trouble so many times in the course of our career for having the crowd, like, uh, you know, like if we're playing in a theater, I'll say, come on down to the front, everybody. And, you know, all of a sudden there's a, you know, it's packed right up against the stage and the people in the front row are all pissed off that they no longer have, of front row tickets and uh you know i even going back to you know our first national tour with toe duet sprocket uh you know i was i was doing that kind of thing i told the crowd once when we were out with the toad uh actually this was in johnson city tennessee we were playing at a church <laughs> and wow. we we're we we're playing at this church and um there's this crowd barrier like 15 feet away from the stage and between me and the crowd barrier, there was this organ, because we're, we're playing in a church, so there's this big wooden organ, and it's right in front of the stage. You know, like I, I could step from the stage onto the top of this big organ. But there was a sign on the organ pointed right at me that says, do not stand on organ. And... Um, and and again now the crowd barrier was about 15 feet away and I looked around and I saw that there were only a couple of security guards in the whole venue and 
I told the crowd, I'm like, listen, there aren't enough security guards to stop you. I say you all jump this crowd barrier and come up here to the stage. And the place <laughs> went, the place went ape shit. And the, so, you know, all of a sudden the whole crowd just rushed the stage and I look up and there are two kids standing on the organ, waving that sign at me. <laughs> Do not stand on organ. And this, uh, for, at, for the time, was one of the, my, my most proud achievements. There was a warrant issued for my arrest for inciting a riot. And oh I actually had to, like, I had to go back to the hotel and, like, hide out because we thought the police were going to be coming to get me. And I just remember being so proud. Holy shit, I'm a lead singer. And just like Jim Morrison, there's a warrant <laughs> for my arrest. <laughs> You know, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm kicking ass at this. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. on the, I'm on the right track. But you know, it, it, this gets back to my point that I've, I've always tried to draw the crowd into it. I've always been down there, like high fiving everybody and passing around my tambourines and stuff. And man, those days are over. You know, I, I, I just don't know what it's going to be like when we, when we get back out there, but. Uh, you know, that was, again, that, that was always something that was a big part of my performance was bringing the crowd as close as possible. And, uh, you know, it looks like, you know, when I start playing again, I'm going to be playing at drive-ins and stuff to people in cars. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to have to get used to the fact that it, it ain't what it was and it may never be again, you know? Yeah. And I hope, I hope it, it goes back to normal, but like you said, you got to be prepared for anything. The new rebellion, you could just tell everybody to take their masks off. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I would not do that because I'm. I'm a scientist. Yeah. You know, I. I trust. I trust the science. You know, and again, now I realize. You know, the front row, the people right at the foot of the stage. I have been blasting these people with my lung moisture and all of my germs. <laughs> you know, all this time. Yeah. You know, I mean, these, the, the people in the front row that I'm passing the tambourine to, I mean, they're literally standing there in a cloud of my breath, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, until until we're all vaccinated and this shit is really over for good, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to perform from a distance with some reservation. But believe me, I'm going to be doing that with, Every bit as much enthusiasm as I as I ever have. So that's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm dying. I'm dying to see you guys. Like I said, I've always been at the wrong place. The last time I got pretty close, I think you guys were at Wild Horse with like the Everclear, and it was a, it was like a '90s like salute to the '90s type of gig. And oh yeah, that was the Summerland tour in uh, 2012 with uh, Sugar Ray Everclear. Yeah. Uh, lit and Marcy Playground. That was a great summer. Good, good times. Uh, all of those bands are awesome. I just saw Lit uh, came up in my YouTube feed a little while ago. Those guys are a blast to hang out with. Really good dudes. Um, made a lot of friends on that tour, and uh, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Good, good times. And of course, uh, Sugar Ray. Those guys are probably my, my favorite people in rock and roll. I absolutely love all the guys in Sugar Ray. I miss them terribly. And uh, if, if any of them are listening or anybody who knows them, 
Uh, well, shit, I could just text them if I wanted to, but you know, let <laughs> let them know, <laughs> let them know that I'm thinking about them and I'm at Sugar Ray. And that wraps up the birthday podcast. Sorry, I don't know why. I just tried to pull a Conan O'Brien. He's a cool guy. I do like him, but I don't think that format works for me. But anyway, thank you for the birthday uh, podcast. Thank you for listening. Without you, the listeners, there'd be no reason to do it. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you to my awesome guests and heroes of mine, Jimmy Chamberlain of the Smashing Pumpkins, Robin Wilson of the Gin Blossoms. Awesome interviews. Guys, thank you for taking the time. It meant so much to me. It was truly a remarkable birthday gift. Uh, and with that being said, um, I'm going to cut it off. I just want to let you all know that I love you for you and where you're at in life. If you know anybody you think would be a great guest, as always, just hit me up, Josh Belcher at hotmail.com. All right, have a safe week. Be careful, be safe. Uh, Go find one person and be nice to them for no reason. Uh, We've got uh, not enough of that in this world and a lot of anger and malice. So uh, peace be with you. Thank you for listening to the Uncharted Podcast, and I will catch you next week. All right, bye, everybody.